I want to uh, thank the uh, Rudolphs and the Sugarmans for inviting me. Um, I know how meaningful tonight is for them, and uh, I especially have enjoyed learning with uh, Amanda Sugarman, very uh, special member of the Ramaz KJ community, and uh, um, it's a real honor to be able to continue the learning with the family and with the larger community. Um, I know this lecture series is in memory of Stanley Rudolph, and that's the primary primary uh, dedication. Um, just in a, a small note of personal meaning here, um, I actually have never spoken at Trisha before, but I did study with a Chavruta, who's a very talented mechanic, who no longer is with us, um, Rav Shlomo Dweck Zatzal. Um, and he was mechanic here at Trisha, so I hope our collective learning also will be um, in his uh, memory and honor. What I want to talk about tonight is a beautiful Rambam. Uh, a Rambam that I think most of us know. And I'd like to suggest that it's worth revisiting. Actually, I think about every tshuva lecture in the world quotes this Rambam. So it's only right for me to quote it also. But I hope that we'll add uh, a different dimension to our understanding of this Rambam. So source, why don't we just get going with it. Let's start with source one. And I have it here in Hebrew and English. Hopefully everybody has a copy of the source sheet. Uh, there are many more up front. Remez Yeshbo. Even though Rambam tells us, even though blowing shofar is a commandment and it's decreed by scripture, still there's a certain meaning that we could tease out of it. There's a hint in it. Klomar, Namely, wake up. You, yay, that slumber, <laughs> that sleep, awaken, be introspective in your deeds, return, and remember your Creator. Those, and the English is below, but I'm paraphrasing, maybe the English is better, so I apologize if my paraphrase isn't as good. Those of you who forgot the truth through the uh, tedium of your routine. And you squander and you waste away all your days and your years with vanities. Which ultimately are meaningless. Turn inwards, improve your ways, all of you abandon the bad path and return to the true path. So the Rambam says that the blowing of the shofar is meant as a wake-up call, as a piercing blast that will uh, stir us and cause us to awaken from our wrong ways, from our vanities, to realize the true deep messages of Torah, of truth, of the way we should be living our life. Now I think as much attention has been brought to this Rambam, I think it's usually understood as the Rambam waxing eloquent. The Rambam realizing a certain beauty in the shofar, finding a certain message embedded in the shofar, and running with that idea, waxing poetic, elaborating on a beautiful theme unique to Tkiat Shofar. Tkiat Shofar and Tshuva. I think that's the common understanding of the Ramba. But, I think if you sit with the Rambam a little bit more, you'll realize a little more is at play. Well, first, did the Rambam make up this image that the shofar wakes us up, that we're asleep, most of our lives we're asleep, and that we have to wake up when we repent? So that's actually an image 
that existed in Svarat in Spain before the Rambam. And here, actually, my, I'm going to go a little bit out of order in my sources. But we'll skip to the end. I always like doing that. That way you know you get through the source sheet. Okay, so um, source 6 and source 7, which i got to just give credit. I would not have found these on my own. Uh, one of my mentors, Professor Septimus, pointed me to them. Source, it's source 18, page 6, and source 19, page 7. So these are different poems from Sparat. First, let's start with page 6, source 18, and I'll just read a line or two from Rabbeinu Bachaye. Rabbeinu Bachaye, of course, preceded the Rambam, one of the great thinkers and poets in medieval Spain, in that glorious golden era of Spanish thinking and Jewish creativity. So here has a poem called Tochacha, and he begins with Barchina Pshiat Hashem, you see in the middle of the page. And then if you look on the bottom right, he continues, and he talks about the, the need for the soul to seize the right path. And the underline I have there be Actually, I'm being wise and not trying to translate every word of the medieval poem because I don't think I would succeed. Okay, so we'll keep it simple. Wake up from your sleep. And then line 10, Nafshi mitnumatech uri. Soul awaken from your slumber. And then on the left hand side, ukeshikor nirdam. That the soul throughout the year, throughout most of man's life, is like a, uh, a drunken who has fallen asleep. And we're being summoned in the tochacha to wake up. And then if you turn the page, Rabbi Yehuda Halevi also preceded the Rambam the great medieval thinker, author of the Kuzari, and of course, poet. So here he has on the next page, and here I really uh, put this out of order, so it actually begins on the left side and goes on to the right side. This is page 7, the very last page of the packet. And it, it's a slicha. It's a poem that's about repenting. Yashen. Alter Adam. Ba'azov hital halcha. So, sleepy one, you're falling asleep. Don't fall asleep anymore. Wake up. And abandon the way you squander your time. And then continuing on in the fourth line, Dailach malachanirdam, enough. What's it with you and the sleep? Kum. Awaken. Kral alokecha. And then on the right-hand side, Haket lirot shamav and maasetz botav. Wake up and look at God's heavens and His creation. And then an interesting other line in the continuation. You could look at it more carefully on your own. So we see that in medieval Spain, before the Rambam, in the 11th century, people were working in this image. Now, there's just one other source here I have that's not Rambam, basically. I think it's actually one other towards the end. But almost all my sources are Rambam. But one other interesting source that Professor Septimus pointed me to, and I just wanted to bring it to your attention. This is probably dated to after the Rambam, although it's hard to know exactly how to date it. It's in the Zohar, so we certainly have received it a little bit uh, later, although it's hard to know when the kernel dates back to. But here, Source 17, the Zohar, has a beautiful metaphoric reading of Sefer Yonah. And we know one of Yonah's problems was he liked to sleep. And the captain tries to awaken Yonah. So the Zohar, of course, senses that more is at play here than Yonah's sleeping habits. And the Zohar reads this allegorically as referring to the neshama, the soul, and it's actually the soul in a sort of a desperate hour towards the end of man's mortal stay here on earth. And the soul wants to sleep, and it's actually being summoned by its creator to awake, and awaken and repent. A similar type of the theme. Actually, the Vilna Gaon elaborates, he has an entire reading of Sefer Yonah, inspired by the approach of the Zohar. So this is an image that exists, and it's not just in the Rambam. It's, I guess, a, a common type of an image that sleeping, you're sort of missing the boat, wake up, something important is going on. And Rabbi Yehuda Levi used it, and Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar used it before the Rambam, and others used it after the Rambam. Nevertheless, I want to suggest that for the Rambam, it's not just the beautiful image. 
it's not even just what the shofar is about, but it's actually a pervasive religious theme that is essential for the Rambam. I think our first hint actually stays within Rosh Hashanah. And this is source two. In the Mora Nebuchim, the Rambam and his guide, we know in part three of the guide, the Rambam does a survey of a lot of the different commandments and he explores the rationale behind various commandments. And if you see here in source two, the Rambam says the following, K'mochein Rosh Hashanah Yom Echad. Okay, so we don't follow him on that one. Maybe that's a shame. But the Rambam says, Rosh Hashanah is only one day, but meaning in its essence, it's a one-day holiday. Shekehu Yom Tshuva. Actually, very interesting characterization of Rosh Hashanah. Okay, because this is the Rambam's characterization of Rosh Hashanah. It's not just an aside in Hilchas Tshuva. This is the place in Moronavuchim where the Rambam is describing Rosh Hashanah. So how does the Rambam describe Rosh Hashanah? He doesn't say, Yom Alchut Hashem, the day of God's coronation. He doesn't say it's the day of creation of the world. The Rambam says, Rosh Hashanah is Yom Tshuva. It's a day of repentance. Right? Sometimes we struggle with that. We think of a Sardi Yom Tshuva as repentance. Yom Kippur as repentance. The Rambam says, Rosh Hashanah is a day of repentance. And then he adds a formulation. Rosh Hashanah is the day of awakening. If there's one characterization, without the Rambam I would have said it's the day of coronating God. But in the Rambam's Mora, Rosh Hashanah is the day of waking up. And the Rambam's highlighting that in a sense, if you want to know the essence of Rosh Hashanah, don't look in my Hilchas Shofar, neither in my discussion of Shofar, and don't look in my discussion of the holiday of Rosh Hashanah and all the laws. Look at that one passage I gave you in Hilchas Tshuva. Because that's not just the essence of the Shofar, it's the essence of Rosh Hashanah. And in its essence, it's the awakening which we follow through with in ten days of repentance that climax with Yom Kippur. And the Rambam is taking very seriously the notion that Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the ten days of repentance. That's not an add-on theme, that's the essential theme of Rosh Hashanah. And that actually also corresponds with the continuation of Source 1, which I didn't read, but you could read later on your own. Where the Rambam begins with the Shofar, but then continues with Aserad Yemei Tshuva. So, so far, we start with the Rambam and Hilcha Shofar, but I think once we see more Nebuchim, we realize it's not just a metaphor, it's not just an image. Shofar, wake-up call, a blast, an alarm clock, it's actually the essence of Rosh Hashanah. It's the day of waking up. And it's not just Rosh Hashanah. And that's really what I want to spend the majority of my time tonight on. I think if you look through the Rambam, and really have to look through the entire oeuvre of the Rambam, beginning with his early works, going to his middle works, and ending in his late works, you see how the Rambam sat on this theme. And I think this is a great example of two things. One, a major issue in scholarship, my Manidian scholarship, is how do we make sense of this Rambam? The Rambam just did too much for one lifetime. And they seem to be products that are so different. His legal work, the jurist, his traditional Mishnah commentary, his responsa, his letters, and of course his philosophical treatise, the guide. And how do we put these all together? And one of the great Maimonidian scholars of the 20th century, Leo Strauss, especially said, cautioned us, when we read the Rambam, you have to know how to read. And one of his themes was that the essential Rambam really sat in the guide. And the other works, they're popular works. Sometimes they could be misleading and simplifying. And the core of the Rambam is in the guide, and even there you need to know how to read it. Strauss, I think, awakened us to reading the Rambam more carefully. But my sense is that most scholars think he overstated the case a little bit. And more contemporary Maimonidian scholarship tries to look at the Rambam in the totality, tries to follow how the Rambam notices a theme and develops a theme. 
Sometimes there are contradictions, that's true. Sometimes I think you can notice organic growth in a theme. And to me, what's most remarkable sometimes in the Rambam is how he noticed something early on in his life. He just had a sense. He was a genius. But he wasn't satisfied with that. So he introduces a theme, and then throughout his works, he really meditates and reflects and develops that theme and elaborates further on it. So ultimately, I think we see the Rambam as the creative teacher who ultimately penetrates into profundities the less patient teachers wouldn't succeed in developing. And I think there's an example. So let's begin with his early work. His early work is Perush HaMishnayot. The Rambam wrote it, and this makes all of us a little depressed when he was in his early 20s. While he was on the fly, he was saving his own life, running from the Almohads, but that wasn't enough, so he also had to keep writing and learning. And he wrote his Perush HaMishnayot. Actually, I'm going to go out of order. So if we see in page 2, source 7, the Rambam... In his Perusha Mishnayot, he actually wrote it in Arabic, but we're going here with either Hebrew or English translation. Um, you see a certain sensitivity to the theme of being awake. Hakada Rishona, source 7, and each obviously passage requires further uh, discussion, but we want to just really touch on it for its relevance to our theme. So the Rambam here is talking about different groups of readers of rabbinic legends, of Agadah. And the Rambam says, the problem with the first group is that they're simple. And they don't really get when the rabbis have a midrash or a legend that the rabbis are trying to hit on a deep theme. So they just read it too literally. That's who the Rambam's talking about. So the young Rambam says, most of the rabbis who I've met in my lifetime, I heard about them, I read their works, they're a little simple <laughs> the Rambam, the young Rambam says all the other rabbis, or many of them are a little simple they don't really get what rabbis are talking about in their midrash and all the things that are impossible that a midrash has, like the midrash says you know, Esau uh, tries to bite Yaakov and his neck turns to marble and they say okay that's what happened. That's what it says. What ruined them? That they were ignorant. They didn't know science. They didn't know philosophy. They weren't rational. And the rabbis are saying fantastic things. They're just impossible and basically silly and simple. They lack the development, the maturity of understanding in order for them to awaken to the deeper meaning of the rabbinic text. So here, it's a little bit of an innocuous usage, but the Rambam already suggests that not being awake, being asleep, is equivalent to being ignorant, not being rational not really reading things deeply, not really reflecting on deeper meanings. And if they were wiser, if they were more sophisticated, they could awaken to the deeper meaning of the text. One source. Turn the page, source 9, another famous Rambam. The Rambam, of course, is one of the big advocates on behalf of charity. He has the beautiful development of the theme of charity in his Mishnah Torah. But already in his earlier work, he touches on the centrality of charity and also his distinctive approach to charity. So one of his famous comments, which he takes from Aristotle and he develops, is that it's better to give tzedakah one dollar to a thousand, give it a thousand different people a thousand different times, take out a dollar from your pocket and give it to a needy person. That's better than taking a lump sum of a thousand dollars at one time and handing it to another person. And that's what the Ramu says here, source 9. If a person hands over a lump sum of $1,000 to a person, that won't really help inculcate in the person the characteristic 
of being generous. You can't compare that to a person who a thousand times reaches into his pocket and hands a dollar bill to a thousand different strangers. Each time he reinforces the idea of being charitable about caring about another who's in need. When you habituate yourself to that, a thousand times over, it really becomes a part of your nature. But on the other hand, the person who just does it once, On the other hand, if a person just does it once, then only once did that person's essence and neshama wake up to this great deed of being generous. So the Rambam's description of the person who's charitable, of the person who gives tzakah, is a person whose nefesh or neshama woke up. Woke up to God's commandment, woke up to the needs of another person, awakened to the things that are more important in life. Two other sources in his Perush HaMishnayot. Source 10, and then back to Source 8. So I'm on page 3, Source 10. Source 10 is in his Shmona Prakim, which is his introduction to Pirkei Avot. And the Rambam says the following, V'nisharnu alikareinu, ki hadam biyado hamishmat hameri. The Rambam in Ishmona Prakim affirms man's free choice. Just like he does this in his Mishnah Torah, so too in Ishmona Prakim, his introduction to Avot says, at his essence, man is free to choose what he wants to do. He could do whatever he wants to do. And if a person doesn't want to do something, he is the authority whether to do it or not. And he adds a few words. And then at the end of that line, second line, source 10, everything is within man's autonomy. Therefore, a person really has to work because ultimately a person is his own autonomous agent. He or she has to decide for him or herself. Therefore, it's really up to the person. Because there's nobody else to awaken a person to do something. It's only the person themselves. That's the price of free will. That's the price of autonomy. If you don't awaken yourself, you're going to stay asleep. And then, in a fascinating connection... He says, that's the statement, Now turn back, page 2, source 8. We see that the Rambam consistently follows through on this in his Perush, in that famous Mishnah Perkei Avot, that famous saying, So look at the bottom of page 2, source 8. Amar. I'm on the bottom source of page 2. So what does it mean, if I am not for me, who will be for me? So the Rambam reformulates it, and it's a curious reformulation, but I think we're starting to sense a pattern. The Rambam says, if I am not for myself, means if I don't awaken myself to do good, to develop in character, who can I rely on to wake me up? That's part of being free. There's nobody in the outside who's going to force me to wake up. And now he cross-references again, source 10, the Shemona Prakim. So the Rambam, in his youthful work, in his Shemona Prakim, already, I think, senses that part of doing good and living a meaningful life and following Torah mitzvot means to awaken your soul and your spirit to be charitable to be generous to understand the depths of rabbinic writings 
and generally to develop one's character and one's personality. The Rambam, in his next essential work, his mature Mishnah Torah, continues with this theme and develops it in various ways. Back to page one, please. So, yes. Oh, yeah. What does it mean? Uh, because. Where are you? Because there is nobody to awaken. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm talking the whole time. Please interrupt me. <laughs> I'm being too formal. If anybody has questions or comments or critiques, well, you could hold the critiques. But uh, questions or comments, please. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. I think the Rambam means in the Torah, it's a one-day holiday. Of course, the way we practice it, both in diaspora and even in Israel, is we keep it for two days. But in, it, ideally, it would be a one-day holiday. But it's a whole complicated calendaric problem when we're not really sure when the first of the month is. So therefore, we're, we play it safe and we keep two days and then the rabbis formalized it and turned it into a two-day event. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Rambam, I think, also kept two. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, that's the Rambam in his early work. Now let's turn to his middle work, his Mishnah Torah. So, the most famous elaboration in the Mishnah Torah is the one we began with, Hilchas Shofar, Hilchas Tshuva, his explanation of Shofar. Let's turn to a few different passages which might be less familiar. So, source three, bottom of page one. The Rambam says that a person has to be very careful to observe the essential mitzvah of mezuzah. Don't think mezuzah is a small thing. It's actually constantly uh, obligatory. Every time a person enters or exits from a room, from a home, they'll encounter the mezuzah, and that's not just encountering a nice decoration, it's actually something that records the unity of God. So when you touch the mezuzah, you actually are touching an object that reminds you of the unity of God and the singularity of God. Actually, I think that's a nicer translation. And then, yiskor avato. You remember God's singularity, and then you remember your devotion to God and your love of God. V'ye'or mishnato. And that will awaken you. V'shkiotav bahav lehazman. That will awaken you from your slumber, your routine, the way you squander your daily existence in the vanities of day-to-day life. Vieda, and a person will realize is intense uh, mezuzah encounter. But this is what it should be. That you should know while you're rushing out to work late on a rainy day, you're supposed to pause and think about this. That the only eternal thing Yidiyat Sur HaOlamim is the knowledge of the true essence of God. Umiyad hu Sharim, and that has the guaranteed results. Miyad, I don't think, means immediacy in the sense it'll happen this next second, but if you really digest that message, it's a guaranteed causal consequence. That's what the word Miyad means in the Rambam that you will improve your ways. And you will set your path right. Etc., etc. And the ending of the Rambam is beautiful. So the Rambam tells us that shofar blast wakes us up. But the Rambam says there are other things to wake us up. Like a meaningful encounter, touching, kissing, or passing by the mezuzah. What I think the Rambam's starting to do, actually, is to solve the problem he noticed in his youth. What's that? I didn't describe it as a problem, but it's really a problem. Because the Rambam says the essential spiritual challenge, in a sense, is to awaken to things that are meaningful, 
but he may not nearly merely. There's no orer aside from the person, him or herself, and that's hard. The Rambam, as he develops his religious thought, realizes that various mitzvot or seasons or experiences are actually ma'orerim. There are items, events, media which can be ma'orer, which can help us not just do it on our own, can assist us in awakening. The shofar, the mezuzah, and the next one, please turn the page to page two, is not a mitzvah and not a time of the year, but actually an event, a traumatic event, that unfortunately most of us eventually live through. Source five. Rambam, in a beautiful passage towards the end of his Laws of Mourning. Call me she'eno mitabel. I'm skipping source four. I'll get back to it in a second. Source five. Call me she'eno mitabel k'mo shitzivu chachamim hareza achzari. Whoever doesn't follow the mourning rituals that the Torah and Chazal taught us is actually cruel. Ela yifchad. Rather, a person not only should mourn, but should actually be afraid. The yidag. And you notice the Rambam is using the same language in all these sources in his Mishnah Torah. To be introspective, to repent, when you confront mortality and confront loss and realize your limitations, that should make you afraid, that should make you take stock in the way you live your life, and that should inspire you to repent. If somebody in a group dies, don't just think that's, it's not, that's not me, it's not my family. No, the entire group has to pause and reflect. You actually should feel palpable fear in the immediate aftermath of the tragic event. And then the Rambam says, as the days go on, that abates. And then the Rambam says towards the end of that passage, Because that process of confronting loss and mortality and limitation ultimately will actually awaken a person, the living person, to live a more meaningful life. The deceased life has reached its climax. But the living, the survivor, the, rem- the remainder, the members of the family, the friends, etc., they realize they're living, but are they living? Are they awake to what living is really about? And if they digest that message, that too will awaken them. And then source four. Source 4, a curious Rambam. Let me just give a word of background for Source 4. The Rambam's talking about bad dreams. And what should our response be to a nightmare? To a disturbing dream? Now this stuff is in the Gemara and Masech Bracha and other places, Masech Shabbos, Masech What's interesting is you think the Rambam, the great rationalist, what's he going to say about a bad dream? So Chazal seemed to be a little bit more inclined to respond to those things. They say, you have a bad dream, you have to do hatavat chalom, you have to interpret it in a favorable way, and you have to fast, and Chazal say all those things. But by the time this hits the medieval period, you'd expect this slightly different response to these type of, I don't even know if we call them laws, habits, practices, what are they exactly? So what's interesting is if you survey the Rishonim, you find an Ashkenaz, Rabbeinu Klonimus says, we don't fast on Shabbos anymore. Early Ashkenaz, early Germany, he says, yes, once upon a time they did because they knew what they were doing. We're not really informed about all this stuff. We don't do that. You certainly wouldn't. Shabbos, you're supposed to eat. You wouldn't fast if you have a bad dream. And the Rashba in Spain 
a little bit later, he says, it's not mandatory to fast. If you're inclined to fast, you fast. So what's interesting is actually both in Germany, where they did take a lot of this material a little bit more seriously, they were nevertheless reluctant to say this is normative law. And Rashba, who actually is anti-philosophical in certain ways and very committed to traditional readings in certain ways, says it's not obligatory, it's optional. What about the Rambam, the great rationalist? What does he say? Look at source 4. Haroech halom ra. You have a bad dream. Sarich. It's not optional. You must. Litanot lemachar. You must fast the next day. But of course, the Rambam gives his own spin to it. Why? Kidei sheyashuv v'yeor b'masav because if you have a bad dream it's basically telling you that you're sleeping too much when your sleep's disturbed it's showing that you're sleeping too much and that's a sign it's a wake up call that your sleep will improve if you sleep less wake up improve your deeds be introspective return and the Rambam amazingly paskins that you fast even on Shabbat, like the simple reading of the Gemara, no amendments. For the Rambam, the bad dream is just another ma'orer. God gives us many ma'orerim, he realizes, as the Rambam develops his thought. True, ultimately, it's up to man, but there's a lot of help. There's the help of the shofar, during a certain season, Rosh Hashanah, the day of awakening. There's the help with the meaningful encounter with the mezuzah, that most basic mitzvah. There is the trying help, if we could call it that, of the difficult facing and confronting loss and mortality. And then there is what might seem innocuous enough, just a bad dream, which the Rambam says is really an aid to reassessing what we do not so much when we're asleep but when we're up are we awake yeah There's a second thing. That's an interesting question. I don't have a total answer to that. My sense that the Rambam appends this rationale to these specific specific mitzvot leads me to at least speculate or conjecture that the Rambam has a certain sense that these in particular had that, I don't know, primary or at least secondary um, purpose. If you look at source 6, the Rambam actually extends the theme in another way. It's actually a beautiful Rambam. All these Ramas are beautiful. So, unfortunately, we know Jewish history often deals hard uh, faith to shuls and Batei Midrashim. And sometimes they get destroyed or they're abandoned. So the Rambam paskins just like the Rambam paskins about the Besa Migdash that it continues to retain its sanctity so too the Rambam paskins that the Migdash Ma'at all our shuls all our Bate Midrashim even if they are destroyed even if you go throughout Eastern Europe on a tour and you see abandoned Bate Midrashim the Rambam paskins they're still holy and then the Rambam adds, Just like there's special halachot that you have to treat with honor and dignity, it's standing in erect shul, So too you must treat with dignity and respect a desolate or abandoned shul or base midrash. Chutz, mikibut, veributz, except that you don't need to wash them etc. And then the Rambam adds a curious last line. Let's say, unfortunately, it's really abandoned and nobody's been there in a while and the floor's all ruined and the weeds start to grow. 
Tol Shinotan, you should pluck the weeds, Uminichinotan Bimkoman, but don't remove them. Just lay them, the plucked weeds, on the floor of that abandoned synagogue or base midrash. Why? Because the people, the community collectively, and this is the first time that we've seen communal awakening, the community has to awaken to see it and to say this is, this is more than a shanda. It's terrible. A neglected shul, a neglected base midrash, abandoned, God's home, laying desolate. We have to wake up, awaken our spirits to action. Not just to repenting, not just to understanding God more, but to giving dignity to the Jewish community, to our synagogues and our Bate Midrashim. So here we have, I think, the essential Rambams of the Mishnah Torah that developed this theme. What did the Rambam realize in his secondary phase? I think he realized that because of the centrality of waking up, because that is such a critical value, it permeates, it's it's a fundamental principle of our religious life. Our religious life demands waking up and not squandering our lives with vanities. So we need help in waking up. And we have all sorts of help. We have the holiday of waking up, Rosh Hashanah. We have the instrument of waking up, the shofar. We have the edifice of waking up, the mezuzah in the house. We have the experiences that wake us up, the tragedies and the confrontation with mortality. We have that bad night of sleep that actually reminds us how are we living when we're awake. And then collectively and communally, sometimes we have to do something in a demonstrable fashion to awaken us to the fact that as a community we're falling short of our collective responsibilities. Yes? I think it's an interesting suggestion. I'm not uh, expert enough to comment on the exact Aristotelian uh, sources. I would say what's clear to me is that this is the Rambam's genius in combining all the different sources of inspiration that the Rambam drew upon. The Rambam is dealing, let's say, with Hilcha He's dealing with a few Midrashim. There's a Midrashim Baikurava and a Psikta the Rav Kahana. And he's taking it, but they don't really say what he says. They touch on what he says. I think there's probably some Shirei Svarad he knows about, and he has that image going. Then the Rambam, I think, realizes that this is a central, a deep religious principle. And I think a lot of that is informed by his rational, philosophical orientation that, of course, is informed by Aristotle. And then the Rambam sees this theme as implicit, in all sorts of sources, like Perkei Avot. And then the Rambam realizes that all sorts of religious events and experiences afford aids in helping realize this ideal. So I think it's all of that that's going on. And Aristotle is a piece of the puzzle as well, and I'll get to him a little bit more in a few minutes. Yeah. Right. Right. No, the term definitely exists, and it, it for sure, 
the Rambam, um, in his great synthesis, I think, took all of this stuff. But ultimately, that would just be a reference here, reference there. The Rambam's genius is combining it all and seeing a theme that is essential in religious life. Yeah. Um, to Aristotle. Right. And, but I think he, the Rambam doesn't mind going everywhere, as long as it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he's like right, which is less obvious. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that is very interesting. Maybe other ones are more obvious aids, and here the Rambam's showing other things that we might not even realize also help us in that process. If I had a little bit more time, I would try to do something that's a little harder to do, honestly. And that is carefully follow the formulation of the Rambam in each place. Because the Rambam does interesting things. Sometimes the Rambam says, you see it, and you wake up, and you become introspective, and you improve your deeds, and then you realize eternal truths. By mezuzah, it's actually interesting, the Rambam inverts the order. You begin with the realization of the love of God and the singularity of God, and that ends up informing your behavior. And I think the Rambam actually is not wed to one approach. I think the Rambam realizes it can happen in different ways. Sometimes an event could shake you up. Sometimes that could lead to thinking about the more meaningful things. Sometimes that could lead you to behaving in better ways. And ultimately, there is a collective and cumulative effect that will straighten you both in thought, in belief, and in deed. Now, I want to turn to one other Rambam in the Mishnah Torah, but really that will lead us into his Moreh, into the guide, his final great work. So let's first start with the Rambam in the Mishnah Torah. The Rambam here is in a very different context, page 3, source 11. I think here the Rambam is really upping the ante. The Rambam is talking about Nevoas Moshe. And what made Moshe so singular? We know the Rambam already in his youth realized that there are certain basic creeds and he delineates his 13 Ikare Amuna already in his Perusha Mishnayos. And one of them, number eight, is the singularity of Nevoas Moshe. And the Rambam already there talks about what made Moshe special in his Mishnah commentary and he elaborates on that in his Mishnah Torah. The Rambam says the following, So the Rambam, early on in his work, this is in Hilchos Yisodei, a Torah, his very opening book, talks about prophecy, and the Rambam describes prophecy. And he said, that's prophecy for prophets. For ordinary prophets. Prophets aren't ordinary people. But there is the generic prophet. Chutz, Mimosha Rabbeinu. Rabban Shalkol Hanavim. Moshe Rabbeinu was the leading prophet. Adon Hanavim. And that not only distinguished him in a quantitative sense that he was the leader of the pack, but it also distinguished him in a qualitative sense. His prophecy was of a different fabric. What singles out Moshe? So the Rambam lists a few things. But the first one is what interests me for our purposes. Shekol ha-neviyim All ordinary generic prophets need the dream, need the vision. Umoshe Rabbeinu misnabe v'hu er. But when Moshe has prophecy, he doesn't need a sleep, he doesn't need imagination, he doesn't need a dream or a vision. He has prophetic revelation while he is awake. I want to suggest that here the Rambam is taking things a step forward. Up until now, the Rambam was talking about being mit orer, waking up. Now the Rambam is talking about being er, remaining awake, staying awake, living an existence when you are awake. It's not a verb, it's not waking up, it's a state, it's a condition. 
being awake. And it's harder than you think. In fact, of all the prophets, only one of them entirely succeeded in remaining awake while being proximate to God, that is Moshe. And this takes us to the Rambam's final work, page 5, source 16. Now, I didn't do a comprehensive search from Orer and Mitorer and the Rambam and the Moran. I'm sure if I would, I'd find interesting things. But this passage, I'm pretty sure, is the climax and the Rambam's mature statement of what it means, Lehitorer and Liyotar, to awaken and to be awake. One word of introduction. Source 16 is the Rambam Mor Nevuchim Chelek Gimel Perek Nun towards the very end of the guide. The guide actually has three parts and part three has 54 chapters. And the Rambam here is concluding his great guide. Chapter 51 through 54 is when the Rambam really kicks into full gear and you could feel the Rambam's energy. The Rambam's telling it all. And it's interesting that in that context, the Rambam returns to, I think, one of his favorite themes, waking up and being awake. And we could read this in English or in Hebrew, um, because it's in Arabic, but I'm just going to go with the Hebrews. I reviewed that a little bit more. When you're doing mitzvot, following halacha, you should focus on halacha. You should try to get the details right. You should follow the commandments. But, the Rambam's contrasting, but when you're all alone, a beautiful image. You're home alone at night. You're lying in bed and you're tossing and turning but not because you're neurotic about what's going to happen tomorrow at work but because you're up in bed and you're finally free to think what should you do? and this is intense stuff he's a her ma'od ma'od melahafilot b'sha'od yikarot eile be careful not to waste these moments the davar acher, focusing on anything else. Milvad ota avadat avadat hakel asichli. What you should focus on is meditating and contemplating God's essence and the worship of God in its true sense. Vihi likrav elakel, with the purpose of coming closer to God. Ulitiatsev lefanav bederecha amiti shelimaditicha. I think this is amazing because you could speak to many poskim and they would have no idea what the Rambam's talking about. The Rambam's saying the essence of worshipping God actually happens when you're done with the day and you're at bed at night, lying there and finally thinking about what really matters and contemplating the truths. Not through imagination, not through images, not through dreams, but rather through contemplating the true principles. The Rambam says, a sage, one who really yearns for God, has to practice this. And if you are able to train yourself in this manner, The Rambam says, one who really perfects himself in focusing on what matters doesn't need to just do it lying in bed at night actually it starts to be the way that person experiences the world. During the daytime, interacting with people, doing actions, those don't 
suck the person away from the things that matter. They don't mire the people in the traps of daily vanities, but they rather allow the person to continue to be heir, even as they're dealing with temporal challenges. And then the Rambam continues, and it's a beautiful description, it's intense, I'm not saying it's everybody's orientation, but I think it captures the Rambam's approach. And he finally gets to his key line, and he says, that is the point, the mashal, the great parable, in that holiest of works, the Song of Songs. And I'll skip to the underline. Ani yeshena v'libi er. That even though we look like we're yashen, why do we look like we're yashen? Because we're living life and doing all sorts of things, and it looks like we're being distracted, and... and uh, we look like we're straying from what matters. Nevertheless, the tzaddik, the chacham, the person who really yearns for God, knows how to navigate through this world and remain awake. And then the Rambam says later on that this is intense, that it is beyond most people's capacities. And that's what he says about six lines for the bottom. Zot gam darga ta'avot shekirvatam elav Excuse me, actually to a line below Ani yeshena v'libiyer Eini omer al darga zot shehi darga tanavim kulam Even most prophets didn't reach this Ela omar shezot darga Moshe Rabbeinu And here the Rambam I think is cross-referencing his description of Moshe Moshe's greatness was that he always remained awake and then he says, a line or two lower, that it's not just Moshe, but it's also the Dargat Ha'avot. It's also what Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov attained. And then he says, all the way at the bottom, two lines from the bottom of Source 16, Don't think they were recluses. Don't think that they just stayed in their bedroom thinking and contemplating truths. They interacted with people, they actually were cunning and smart and Avraham was wealthy and successful they were out there they were engaged in the world but still in a sense the Rambam says that didn't consume them Daily life, the challenges of being with family, being with community, being fundraisers, helping to build uh, institutions, all of that was part of the process of coming closer to God. It didn't, it didn't allow them, it didn't enable them to escape from truths. It actually provided them with a deeper access to what really matters in life and in the service of God. So the Rambam says, it's one thing to be mitorer, and it's quite another thing to remain er, to remain awake. I think this Rambam is important for one other purpose, and I see it's getting late, but let me just get to it briefly. Because the Rambam is saying that everybody needs to awaken most of us won't remain awake. But nevertheless, we have to constantly work towards waking ourselves up anew. And the Rambam says it's something that we have to work on. There are props, there are experiences, there are events. But all those things we ultimately have to internalize in order to awaken ourselves. Even in this passage of the Rambam, you see an echo of his early work, Imena Nili Mili. When do you really work on these things? When you're alone. When you're at home at night. When you're away from all the distractions. That's when you have to work on these things. And sometimes you need certain symbolic events and experiences to help you work on these things. Like actually trying. The Rambam's actually giving you, it's sort of like this amazing moment in the Rambam where he's giving you a how-to guide. It's a self-help book. I want to be awake. What do I do? 
And the Rambam says, well, when you're at bed at night, don't fall asleep. When you're in bed, be mitorera mitatcha. Be awake in bed. And focus in bed on what counts. So what's interesting is I think the Rambam, again, takes something that might just be an image, and he takes it a little bit seriously. Just let me quickly touch on one or two sources that show this. The Rambam actually is into not sleeping. And the Rambam talks about the way he's into not sleeping. The Rambam, amazing few lines that only the Rambam could get away with. (laughs) This kind of confidence. In source 12, the Rambam, when he finishes his youthful work, his Mishnah Torah, excuse me, his Mishnah commentary when he's in his 20s, and he got to the end, to Taros, and the Rambam knows Taros is so hard and so difficult that nobody really understood it. And then he came along and he really worked at it and he tackled it. And he's convinced that he did a good job. And he's confident. And he's proud. And he says, he writes an introduction to this final treatise of the Mishnah, Taros. And he says, What I provided you in my new introduction to Taros, who must speak ma'od ma'od, Maybe this is youthful exuberance, but he says it certainly will be enough for you. And you better memorize my introduction to Taharos. And the only person who will really appreciate my introduction to Seder Taros of the Mishnah is a person who really sweated away at Seder Taros. A person who actually, when they were starting to get sleepy, then they really woke up and started working on learning Seder Taros. Now, that might just sound like a nice expression. But the Rambam on the next page has a famous and beautiful passage where we see he's serious. And again, he's intense. Source 13. True, Talmud Torah is always incumbent upon us day and night. The primary time to learn is night. You don't waste the night with all the relaxing things or even with sleep, who would do that? The night is about learning Torah. The song of Torah only is played at night. Kumi, Roni, Belayla. The night is the time to awaken. Awaken, not to sleep, not to fall asleep with the vanities, with the tediums, with routines, with distractions, but rather to be awake to the eternal verities of God and God's Torah. And I think this Rambam, can only be understood against the backdrop of all the other Rambams. It's an unusual Rambam because it's so mystical. And the Rambam's not a mystic. There's a whole interesting discussion. All the mystics always want everybody wanted the Rambam. And even the mystics said, deep down, the Rambam was a mystic. He was a Makobo. And there's actually a whole interesting uh, secondary literature of people trying to claim that if you really read the Rambam carefully, you'll see he's a mystic. The Rambam wasn't a mystic, but he had the passion and intensity of the mystic through his understanding of Torah. And I think that's what's coming across here. Not just the work, the ambition, the intensity, but I think the seriousness with which the Rambam takes his theme of waking up and not falling asleep. And part of what that literally means is sleep deprivation. I'm not necessarily encouraging it, but he is. (laughs) The Rambam is saying that if you fall asleep at night, that means you're unfortunately all too tapped into routines. And if you wake up at night and fight to remain awake, then maybe you'll actually move from the state where you need to constantly awaken yourself to the state of being awake.
or at least come closer to that. I just want to conclude with one last source, and that's back to source one. Because I think, if at least most of our analysis is true, there's one other beautiful point in that very famous Rambam we began with that we have to revisit and hopefully appreciate a little bit more. The Rambam begins, of course, source one, and he says, On Rosh Hashanah, the day of awakening, as he tells us in his guide, we have that great alarm clock, that ultimate wake-up call, Uru Yishenim. And then the Rambam says, once we awaken, we have to work to remain awake. At least through Yom Kippur. And the Rambam says at the end of that halacha, Nahagu, second to last line, source one, Kol Beis Yisrael laharbos v'masim tovim, to treat these days with a different quality, a quality of being awake, the quality of tzedaka, which I think maybe echoes his discussion of tzedaka, and masim tovim v'lasok b'mitzvot, to be immersed in what it means to be awake. And then the Ramam goes on in the Hadu Kulam Lakum Balaila Basara Yamim Elo. Slichos. But I think Rambam says Slichos isn't Slichos. Slichos is we're not sleeping. We woke up in Rosh Hashanah and we're not sleeping. We're gonna remain awake. And we're gonna strive to live a life that is less about sleeping away that which is precious and more about being awake